Welcome to another episode of Becoming a Techno Wizard. Oh no, I'm sorry. Thoughts of a Techno Wizard. God damn it. <laughs> uh, today is April 10th, uh, 5 p.m. <laughs> and um, really nice day out here. About 70 something degrees. Clear blue skies. I see a little moon in the sky. Every time I see the moon in a in blue sky, I have a um, daydream flashback type of thing to um, first time watching Treasure Planet. And it had that scene where you see the moon and then <laughs> you kind of zoom into it and it's like a space station. And I've always fantasized about having a giant sta- space station that looks like a moon um, ever since then. So I really hope I get to live to see something like that. I highly doubt it, but I would love to see that. I think that would be so dope. Um but yeah, anyways, <laughs> um, I was just did a did my stream talking about Hegel, learning learning about Hegel, I should say, reading the phenomenology of spirit, and uh, it was a really fantastic section. So I want to discuss a little bit about that and some other things that's been on my mind recently. <clears throat> so uh, in this section. Um, I won't, you know, go too much into it because I just spent an hour on that, so you can go check that out if you're interested. But <laughs> um, I really like this section um, because they were talking about what they call the subject and predicate, um, not just from a, you know, literary standpoint. I mean, granted, it is some of that as well, but also from a philosophical standpoint, where, right, where you have the subject of a sentence, um, as in the thing that the sentence is about and then the predicate in which describes the subject right or or kind of you know shows you what the subject is doing or whatever um but in predicating right and creating a predicate of the subject you kind of destroy the subject where the, the subject gets lost in the predicate um to use Hegel's word there and then a new subject is created Right, the the substance of that thing is created, and so what all that means is like take a sentence like, um, I think he used the term uh, like God is being, right? God is being, and of course, um, well, I, I'm, I won't go too much into the side text right now, the subtext, but like just take this concept of God is being. What does that mean? Right? God is the subject here, and being is the predicate, or is is being, whatever. What that means is that, right, the idea of God gets subsumed by this predicate, by this description of what you're saying God is, which is being. <laughs> and so, the original idea, what you had, whatever you had, whatever idea you had of God, kind of evaporates a little bit or gets, you know, lost. Like right? it gets the the importance is moved away from the original subject of God and into this idea of being like oh okay so what does it mean to to be right what does being mean right um and as you have this concept of being you then re reconstruct this idea of God by saying oh okay so God is being that means you know all of being like to be God means to be period right so with that comes his own like the new substance of God, right? The, the, the substance of God means 
being in and of itself, right? Existence, if you will. So therefore, you don't really need faith in order to believe in God, just like because God is being itself, right? God is just existence. God is the universe. God is everything, right? <laughs> and um, I found that really interesting because to me, who has kind of been flirting with kind of atheism, but more spirituality and stuff like that, this is what really interests me in the field of spirituality, right? When you go into this 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 detail, when you go into this philosophical stance, this philosophical ideas behind the idea of God and things like that, right? Because um, for many religions, right, um, this idea of God is kind of taken for granted as just this man who's really powerful, <laughs> and they exist in this place called heaven, and they have all like it's a little bit too liter liter uh, literary not literary goodness too literal, right? And so, because of that, it actually is reductive of this idea of God and things like that. But when you take, a, take it from a philosophical kind of understanding, you can dive more into it, right? And you can get more into the, the depth of what we mean by God and being and this, that, and the other. And I just found this whole, you know, idea, and that was just one example, right? And another example he used is like the actual is universal, right? Um, and I, I, I had my own example of like, I am a person, right? Just really simple stuff. But when you explore these things, you can really appreciate the depth of what we mean here when we're saying these things. And um, I want to get back into the religion aspect in, in a little bit. But before I do, I just want to say that the reason all of this is not just, you know, some some philosophical gobbledygook, right? It's not just, you know, fun little um, thought experiments. But it's actually, it's actually really practical, right? And it's actually something that we, we use every single day when we talk, when we communicate. We actually have these philosophical understandings, right, of subject, predicate, and things like that. And, like, the subject becoming a new subject, becoming a new thing, right? We, we, we do that, like hundreds of times a minute whenever we're talking right like in the span of a couple of seconds or even milliseconds this is how our brain is thinking and so it becomes really important to realize the philosophical under, under understanding right the philosophical under underside of how language works and how thinking works because by doing so we can be more conscious and be more logical and be more you know, um, like purposeful with what we say and how we say, it. and even how we, how others, you know, how we understand others. I mentioned in the in the stream that because a lot of people don't really respect and under or understand philosophy, a lot of people I'd wager are easily manipulated by language. Because they don't understand like this, what's going on here with the subject predicate and all this other stuff, right? And you don't have to understand this as a philo philosophical, as a philosophy nerd, but as a person who understands like language or, you know, um, uh, what do you call it, rhetoric, debate. You know, um, this is that's another, that's other avenues to understanding this thing. But philosophy is like the the foundation, 
right? Um, but anyways, so if you if you don't understand and respect philosophy or anything related to it, then when people are talking, right? Like take for instance a hot topic like religion or let's say you know um, I use an example in the video of of immigrants, right? People have <laughs> this is something many of us probably have realized or hopefully realized, but um, with what's going on in Ukraine, right? You have people that are saying, "Oh yeah, you know, stand with Ukraine, take these immigrants in," right? Um, and they're saying they're kind of phrasing these as as like the good immigrants, <laughs> right? Um, and some people are not even very, you know, good like diplomatic with saying it's just saying, "Oh yeah, these are the good ones," right? We want these people in, like bring them to your homes or whatever, right? But last year or even earlier this year, right? Um, immigrants from Syria or from any of these other, you know, usually brown countries um, were not seen as the good ones, right? They, it's the same term. They say, oh, yeah, these immigrants, right? They're coming in, these refugees and whatever. And <laughs> um, they kind of paints them in a bad light, right? Even though they're they're both... You know, full of people who are just trying to, you know, survive from this terrible situation from war, um, terrorism, things like that. And yet, <laughs> one group of people is seen as kind of better than the other, right? And they use more or less the same language, but they use it in a different context, right? In a different um, subtext. So, and you can understand that. Through this subject predicate, you know, relationship where the subject is like immigrants, but the predicate, right, might differ. So, for instance, you know, um, these immigrants from Ukraine are, you know, fleeing from persecution of the Russians, right? That's your predicate there. And so your 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 subject of the immigrants from Ukraine is now recontextualized, redefined, rediscovered as just people trying to you know run from war you know from this big bad russian bad guy right um and we all hate russia right we all hate um, or at least we all hate uh putin right <laughs> he's a bad guy right <laughs> and so people you know relate more with these ukrainians than let's say syria who they say oh these these you know uh syrians from or these immigrants from syria are you know Muslim refugees, right? <laughs> and so the the predicate here is like, oh, they're Muslim. So what 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 are they running from, right? What are they? Is they uh, is it their own religion that they're running from? So it kind of makes people, right? That 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 predicate redefines the subject in a light that's less, you know, clear. And because of that, people can fill it up with their own predicates of, oh yeah, Muslims are this, Muslims are that, you know, the, the terrorist thing, and this, that, and the other. And so, it, it, you then relate less with these people from Syria, even though they're in the same situation, alright? So you see, these these how we understand language and, and knowledge and things like that, like, materially impacts how we understand life how we understand you know our experience and how we make decisions and how we um support or don't support you know certain policies and peoples and things like that so this is why i really think 
more people need to dive into philosophy. Right? It's not just some thing that people who have who with privilege can go and talk about, you know, random arbitrary stuff, right? It's it's it gives you a context, it gives you understanding of how we think as people. Right? And how we grasp knowledge, how we gain knowledge, how we communicate knowledge, how we know anything <laughs> and how we can differ between manipulation and, you know, kind of um Hegel calls it, uh, what does he call it? I forgot the exact term he calls it, but Hegel, you know, talks a lot about how how you have these kind of fake philosophers who just say a bunch of big words and use intuition um, in place of actual philosophy, which is a laborious process of grasping and grappling for an understanding of things, right? So if you kind of disrespect or just kind of disregard philosophy... Or if you don't understand philosophy, but but you listen to these people who are like artificial, you know, surface level people, then you can very much fall into these pitfalls. You can fall into these people who are, you know, using a sort of a fake deep, you know, or even fake woke, you know, ideology. And you think, oh, yeah, they're, they're the ones who I need to listen to. <laughs> but in reality, that person is no more knowledgeable than you. That person is has no maybe have they have a slightly better understanding, but they're using it to manipulate you <laughs> to their own ends, right? Instead of um, just just trying to communicate as best as they can, they're actually trying to manipulate you with their communication. So yeah, like there's a lot of interesting aspects of philosophy, and I'm I'm learning more and more. As I read Hegel, um, and as I have uh, here Dr. Sattler's um, kind of explanations of of Hegel's text, and it, it's it's just been really great. So yeah, I highly suggest. Um, I guess all this is a is a big advertisement for my channel. <laughs> go check out my um, uh, read-throughs of this, or just go check out you know Dr. Sattler, or go read the book yourself. You know, it's not much of an advertisement, but. <laughs> um, Dr. Sattler has a YouTube channel called Gregory Sattler, I think. I think that's what it's called. <laughs> has a, a series called Half Hour Hegel. So he you know, reads through section by section and talks about it on the little chalkboard and stuff like that. It's, it's really great. So I've been, you know, just going through this on my um, on my own channel. And he's several times he's, you know, shouted me out. Um, so that's been super cool. We've gotten some people to subscribe from that. But anyways, yeah, it's it's such a great series, man. It's such a great book. And I'm only in the freaking preface. I'm 63 paragraphs in. <laughs> it's going to take me years before I get to the end of this. But um, I don't mind taking my time with this. I mean, I, sometimes, I somewhat do mind. I do want to go faster. But it's really, really thick stuff, you know. So... Um, it's a balance of, of my patience and wanting to really understand this stuff. But yeah, um, there were some other things I wanted to connect with this, this idea. Um, and that is, you know, overall stuff about, you know, religion, capitalism, the life that we are in today, um... So earlier today, I've been, I was reading or watching 
couple other kind of long-term videos. One was a, a uh, I guess, panel with a bunch of indigenous um, Native Americans. Um, well, I'm not sure if all of them Native Americans. A bunch of indigenous peoples. Some of them were Native Americans. I think some of them were from other areas. Um, but they were talking about, you know, the impact of capitalism and colonialism on their culture and stuff like that. And, uh, dog. hold up one second. Oh, already passed. Okay. So, um, yeah, so they were talking about how there are just a lot of problems in that space, right? Um, but some of the interesting things here is like the impact of their culture is a, a mix between like religious persecution as well as, you know, on top of the regular type of stuff we think about in terms of colonialism and taking their lands and all this other stuff, right? Um, but one part that hit me was when they were talking about how I think one person asked this actually and they they they, they said uh isn't like isn't you know the taking of their land and things like that a kind of religious persecution um because like in America we we have this idea of like religious freedoms but um a lot of American companies and, and the, the government right just takes the land of these indigenous people um so that kind of that kind of uh what do you call it that restricts yes restricts but also persecutes right I, I just used that term earlier goodness all over the place but yeah that also persecutes them in this way because they view you know the land as a kind of a kind of spiritual thing right and i i think i mentioned this yeah I basically mentioned this before when i was talking about animism but this was a, a very good thing they brought up one one of the people on stage they were like um the downside of science is that it very much it kind of removes this idea of spirituality from the land right and it paints the land as a sort of thing that you can just take and, and use um without really without really respecting what it is right and I found that very a very powerful concept there because you have you have this idea of the land as as a you know a thing in and of itself that has its own being it has its own desires has its own um, ideas of what it wants to be or what it wants to do and these Native Americans these indigenous folks many indigenous you know cultures um, take their time to listen to it right and you can say what you will about you know whether or not they're actually listening to it or whatever but you can't deny the fact that they have they have had a very sustainable culture <laughs> right and they have a very strong impact with the land and we've seen this with you know the scientific data of when you take indigenous people from the land 
not only do the indigenous people decline, but the land also declines. Right? I'm not sure if people know this, but you can you know look it up. With I think I mentioned this before, or quite a ways back. But with things like bison population, right, in America, and um, different trees and th- different things like that, right? Like the uh, like old growth forests and things like that. I just learned about that myself. Um, many of these um, life forms, right, declined after the indigenous people were driven away to the point of a near extinction or extinction in some cases too and then when they brought the Native Americans back when the indigenous folks were able to maintain the land again you saw a mending you saw a a recovery of those things of those trees or those animals and things like that the water even so there's something very powerful about their rituals about their practices that much of our quote-unquote science can't really you know replicate or can't really speak to and again yeah maybe a lot of it is just the fact that they are sustainable have a sustainable lifestyle yes but the whole role of these rituals right is to incorporate these lifestyles is to propel right to to um generate and regenerate like to to make sure that these lifestyles are sustainable for a long period of time across generations is in essence to communicate sustainability sustainable practices right today if you have an idea of how certain land can be more sustainable right some like better farming practices you have to depend on what you have to depend on the market to see if your idea is, is propelled or patents or, you know, <laughs> write it or put it in a book, right? And hope somebody reads it later. But we know for a fact that these, you know, quote unquote, logical or scientific or, you know, free market methods of, of propelling knowledge are not that good, you know, across generations because they very much... Um, change depending on whether or not people care about that thing anymore so if you realize that the land is is like your land is dying and you want to make sure that the next generation you know um, or the next few generations um, learn what you learn in order to make sure that land is profitable or that land is sustainable I should say right and you put in a book or you you sell some idea around it. Um, given give it ten, twenty, maybe even thirty years, all right, and the market will change, or that book gets lost, or some other books you know were put out, and like people forget, right? People don't have <laughs> that knowledge anymore, that wisdom that you gained about the land, and then the 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 needs of the market, whatever, change, right? And people real, people say, oh, I want to make just a whole bunch of money, right? Somebody buys the land and they just want to turn it into a, a cash crop thing. It seems like a good idea at first, right? Because you can make way more money at first. But then after five, maybe even 10 years, that whole farm goes gets, gets desertified, gets destroyed, it turns arid, right? <laughs> because those practices were not healthy for the land over a long period of time and then that whole piece of land is now just a desert or some other arid you know thing and it's no longer usable for foreseeable future right 
that could have been avoided if you had better ways of communicating your wisdoms through the generations in such a way that people not only heard those wisdoms but respected it and also chose to you know propel that wisdom forward to the next generation right this is how humans have gained such an advantage to other animals on this earth is because we um can can share our knowledge across generations we can communicate across generations and so when i'm when i'm thinking about these religions and spiritualities and rituals on some way i do find them concerning cuz like i said with especially with religion it makes you very often not question things and just kind of take a shortcut and, and not think however with these rituals especially ones that are kind of philosophical and how they approach the world it gets you to respect the wisdoms that came before you so yes you might question it but you also you, but you do so respectfully right like <laughs> Like, if my grandmother tells me something, like, should I wash the chicken? Like, I just learned this recently. Apparently, it's not good to wash chicken. Um, however, that's not actually clear, right? Because apparently, like, some people have this idea, right? People say it's scientifically proven that if you wash chicken, you're more likely to spread the salmonella, things like that, around. And that it doesn't do anything because, you know, the chicken has already been washed. But that presupposes... That number one, that there is salmonella on the chicken. And number two, that it's been industrialized to the point where, you know, some bigger organization has cleaned your chicken. But my grandmother, right, who was raised in a, in a place where they got their own chickens, right? Or you had a chicken in the backyard and you killed that chicken and then you cleaned that chicken, right? <laughs> From that culture, right? It makes sense for you to clean the chicken. And on top of all that, right? We actually have other cultures, like I was seeing this YouTuber, who showed that it's actually good to clean your, your meat. Now, he did it with beef. I'm not sure if it's the same with chicken. But he showed that, uh, at least with beef, it, I, I, I think it might be the same with chicken, though. But when you clean your meat, it actually leaves space for more seasoning to get into it, right? Because you're, you know, wringing out the, the water that was there, and, and you're kind of loosening up the proteins and things like that. And... You know, you wring it out and then you, you know, when you season it and kind of massage it in there, more seasoning can get into the meat. And so that's why it's more succulent, more tasteful. Right. And my grandmother, who may not have had the words for all of this. Right. When she's showing us how to cook this chicken. Right. Clean it out. You brine it. You put some lemons. You do this. You do that. Right. That's a kind of ritual that is showing us how to do all of this, how to infuse all of that flavor at the same time as making sure it's clean and furthermore we make sure that when you clean, do clean the chicken of course you clean out the entire sink right that's just part of the ritual <laughs> so these people complaining that oh yeah you you put salmonella all over the sink and now you got to clean the whole sink well yeah you had to clean the whole sink anyways like <laughs> that wasn't really a problem in the first place right and so this is just a small example here but imagine this with the land imagine this with farming imagine this with you know um, building houses imagine this with uh freaking uh raising your children with um spreading knowledge in any other shape or form right these rituals that indigenous people had were able to communicate far more wisdom than we give it credit for 
right with science because science especially how it's done in the, over the last century was very reductive right and we actually see that today and we're trying to counteract that with with a more integrative science and systems thinking instead of me- versus mechanical but this is a fact that a lot of the science from the last century the last uh the 20 19th century and the 20th century was extremely reductive where you had this idea of oh yeah in a perfect environment this is what is true so you know given this that and the other then you have this right but in the real world you would never have the perfect environment right you would never have a perfect vacuum in which this that and the other works you would never have a a farm in which the assist the environment outside of that farm doesn't affect the farm itself right you would never have a perfect environment and so therefore a lot of our science is kind of deaf and blind to the overall environment in the first place right and again i'm not saying this as a person who you know is anti-science no i i think science is one of the best things we've ever done it's one of the best processes that we have to learn new things but there are problems with how we do science with how we spread knowledge and information and things like that and a lot of that is this 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 blindness to the environment to the to the wider system the wider ecosystem in which you know things are have a have a part in and a lot of indigenous rituals and cultures right established themselves in respect to the wider environment a lot of indigenous cultures were able to you know to go back to the hegel thing were able to use the predicates of the environment to redefine the subjects rather than using a extremely reductive predicate to restrict and constrain and belittle you know the subject right so going again again with this god as being there's many many cultures who had an idea of a higher being of a god but many african and other you know indigenous cultures had an idea of god that was extremely broad and philosophical in a way right like god is being right god is existence in and of itself god is the water god is the sky it wasn't some man in the sky it was the sky right and so it gets you to think about what is the sky and what does that mean and all this other stuff and when when the sky is raining what does that mean for your god for you know is that a good thing or is it a bad thing maybe it's a good thing on this day but it's a bad thing on this day right so it gets you to think more and this is what i mean by it had a more philosophical foundation because philosophy gets you to think it's it's about the art of thinking and one can argue that a lot of these indigenous belief systems these spiritualisms right were more philosophical than a lot of modern day religions or a lot of hierarchical religions where you don't really think about it anymore you just do it because that's what they said <laughs> all right and it's reductive because they say god is a man man in the sky the universe is a machine that god made for us right <laughs> and it, it gets you it's a very you know restrictive way of thinking so yeah i don't know this was this whole thing was just an ex- exploration of this these ideas um and then like it's funny too because in the uh in the end of the stream in the end of the chapter, the section of 60, in the Phenomenology of Spirit, this section 60 to 63, um, Hegel was saying that, you know, we can have these experiences of experiences of experiences, 
all right and that's basically what this is right here <laughs> all right where we can have an experience of, of doing a thing we can also have an experience of thinking of a thing and then another experience of thinking of that of thinking of what we're thinking about right that metacognition and unfortunately a lot of religion doesn't include much of that other stuff doesn't include the thinking about your thinking or thinking about what you're not or even thinking about what you're doing half the time it's just thinking about what the, whatever the text says and that's why a lot of religion is very you know problematic and that's why a lot of people are, i think are fleeing from it cuz in today's day and age you know where we're trying to figure out um what's going on with the world right these simplistic ways of thinking don't really aren't don't really satisfy Right? They're not really fulfilling. And Hegel talks about that as well, which I find is really fascinating. Uh, but on the same token, though, you do have a lot of people who do flee to religion because they don't want to think. They just want to say, yeah, pray, just pray and you know, put it in God's hands and that's it, right? <laughs> and it's not just religion, right? It's also, you know, the, the what do you call it, the law of attraction, right? And I say that as a person, once again, who was into that. I was like, oh, yeah, law of attraction, let's, let's attract it too much. Yes, I actually was into that for a little bit. <laughs> all right, I understand the appeal, the secret, and all that other stuff. Like I understand it, but that's the problem. Is the problem therein is that it kind of restricts and, and limits your thinking, your ability to think. The deeper truth behind things like the law of attraction and praying and stuff like that is that when you're actually thinking about a thing, you're more able to focus on that thing. And therefore, you can make more opportunities for yourself or find more opportunities that's in front of you. If you're not, if you're not ever thinking about the thing, even though if that's your goal or whatever, then you'll never, you'll miss opportunities that's right in your face. But the more you think about a thing, the more you can notice it around and the more you can hop on those opportunities, right? That's the deeper kind of subtext behind things like the law of attraction and praying and all this other stuff. But you'll never get there if you don't go that deep. If you just, yes, let me just, you know, um, what's, what's the term they use? Uh, manifest it, right? Let me just manifest it. And let me just pray for it, and then it'll happen, right? <laughs> no, because if you're just praying for it, if you're just manifesting, you're not actually looking for opportunities. You're looking for something to literally fall into your lap, <laughs> right? And even then, you might miss it because you're looking. You might be looking for a specific way it, it, that it works or whatever, right? <laughs> but anyways, you know. I think we just need to think more. We need to embrace, you know, things like philosophy and indigenous, um, you know, cultures and all the other stuff if we want to make a better world. Because the world is interconnected, intertwined. You know, all these things are connected to each other, even if we don't see how yet. All right? It's only in the last couple of years where we started to realize that all these trees are not individual, you know, competitors, but they're actually cooperative connecting in this fungus. And just, you know, a couple, uh, just like yesterday, I read an article where the people were able to see that fungus, right, the fungus, the mycelium network, right, the fungus is able, has some sort of, or seems to have some sort of language and which is on par with English language. Right, we don't know what they're talking about, and some even said, "Oh, they're not talking about anything." Right? Well, like, what? What can there be to talk about? Right? <laughs> and I found that very problematic. Like, that's the same type of thinking 
that made people be like, oh yeah, these 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 barbarians, right? They're they're just dumb, they're just whatever, right? Or these trees are just you know comp- competing for the limited resources or whatever. When like in reality, I'm not even sure if competition is a good way of actually describing what's going on. And this is something I want to I want to work on later. Like I want to take on Darwin and stuff. I know I'm being precocious here, but. I want to I want to question this thing of competition. Like, is it really competition that's going on here, or is it, you know, kind of adversarial cooperation, right? And the reason why I, I point that out, I'm going down a little tangent here. I was gonna end it, but I'm gonna bring this up. There's this car pass. But something that kind of kind of went in my mind a little bit is this idea that when we think about competition. Right, it, it it kind of it gets you to think that predicate right for the subject of competition <laughs> gets you to think about the idea that these things are in it for themselves, right? They're just for themselves, and they only ever do things if it you know benefits themselves. And there are limited resources out there, and pe- things com- things compete in order to get those resources. Right, and that seems to make sense, but then when we de- dive deeper into these relationships, we see so many symbiotic relationships. We see so many, you know, things that seem to go beyond just competition. And to me, I wonder if competition in in and of itself is an idea that we have, you know, overused in a lot of nature. Because competition, once again, it kind of... I think competition um, presupposes that things are aware of this idea of scarcity. When in reality, a lot of animals, right, are... Even including ourselves in many ways, right? Is going towards... Or, let me see. They're trying to satisfy their needs... You know, maybe food, water, uh, reproduction, right? And a lot of times it's on a first-come, first-served basis. But a lot of times I'm not sure if they're competing, right? It's more like you see a thing and you go for that thing. And somebody else is trying to get that thing. Then you either fight them or, you know, you share, right? Or you just kind of get in where you fit in. Viewing that as competition does make sense. Now, don't get me wrong. But I also wonder if we're putting a little bit too much of our own spin on that. All right. I don't know if I'm making sense with with any of that. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong on all this. (laughs) But I don't know. It's just... Something is is there, and I have to I have to explore it. I might have to write it down because when I write, I'm able to, you know, explore these ideas a little bit more. And I don't know. It depends on the idea. Sometimes I can walk and talk. Sometimes I have to write it down. But I don't know. I got to think about this because once again, we were wrong about the idea of trees competing. All right, we thought they just compete for the most amount of um, sunlight or the to get the water and stuff like that but when we delve deep 
and we see that they're all, all connected, we see that they actually cooperate much more than they compete. That they share, you know, um, resources with the other trees. And granted, the reason for that competition, I mean, for that cooperation, is because it allows all of them to last longer, to survive longer, and to reproduce more, right? So it's a, you can say it's a competitive advantage for them to be cooperative, right? So I don't know. Maybe I didn't go anywhere. I don't know. I have to think about it some more because there is something there, but I, I feel like I'm missing it. <laughs> but that's the that's the knowledge. That's the uh, grappling grappling of knowledge, right? Sometimes you're wrong. Sometimes you go down the path and it's a dead end, or sometimes you know you just didn't know where you were going. But that's that's why it's important to you know try to do things that you don't that are a little bit out of your comfort zone and you don't quite understand, right? And to be able to recognize your own ignorance and when you're wrong. It's a it's a good it's a good practice, good practice in humility and, and knowledge seeking. But anyways, as always, thanks for watching. I mean, thanks for listening. Goodness. <laughs> um. To get back on that conclusion I had before, again, I do think it's important for us to, you know, gain some respect and understanding of indigenous cultures. To think about things from a more philosophical standpoint meaning a foundation of curiosity and knowledge building and knowledge seeking as opposed to just kind of try to fact find because facts in and of themselves are not you know are not comprehensive um but yeah that's it for me for now and uh let me know what you what you think about this what you thought what you learned or disagree with or anything um without further ado have a great day see you bye bye